Thank you, everyone, for listening to yet another episode of In Harmony with Piedmont Opera. We appreciate all the support so far, all the feedback on the episodes. We've really enjoyed doing these, and we've got a really special one today, a name that probably anyone listening to this podcast knows already. Jamie Albritton is 20th season as the artistic director for Piedmont Opera. 20th season. Uh, how does that sound? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you ever think back to the early years of, of when you got started here? Absolutely. I actually, I'm, I've, this is my 20th season as artistic director, but I my second or third year in Winston-Salem, I sang for the founder. So Piedmont, Piedmont Opera has been a part of our life for much longer than 20 years. I say our, mine and my wife, Marilyn Taylor, uh, she actually sang her first role for Piedmont Opera. I think it might have been 1989. Mm. Um, okay. And that's part of the reason why we're here. If it weren't for Piedmont Opera, we wouldn't be in Winston-Salem. So Piedmont Opera is a very special organization in more ways than one. Well, I'd love to learn more about that part of it, about how this is what drew you to this area of the country, of our state. How did it all happen? Uh, my wife, Marilyn, uh, was in a production of uh, Verdi's Falstaff at uh, Kentucky Opera. And the set designer for that production, uh, Norman Johnson, who founded Piedmont Opera, had already been in discussions with him about uh, creating a production of Falstaff for here, for this company. So he went to Louisville to see what's, what's this designer, what's his take on Falstaff. And while there, heard my wife sing and sort of said, oh, she's good, I'm going to put her in my back pocket. And uh, he'd already cast the role that Marilyn had sung at that company. Uh, the role is of Nanette. She's the, the ingenue in that opera. And it turned out, as the production came close, that the girl that Norman had cast uh, had become pregnant, and she would be eight months pregnant on opening night. Mm. So that wasn't going to fly for the ingenue. <laughs> right. So he called Marilyn and said, would you be interested in coming and singing Nanette? And she did. And he loved her singing. She was a big hit. And he had her back to sing several other operas. And uh, I think it was after she sang Magic Flute here, he called her again and said, you know, we have this part-time opening at the school. Uh, I know you're at IU getting a doctoral degree, so that must mean you want to teach. So do you want to come down here and teach for a year? And we've been here ever since. Wow, it's amazing how timing works. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. That, that just the the idea of the opportunity coming from somebody who just happened to be the timing of of, of a pregnancy. Yes, know? yes. <laughs> well, and if he hadn't gone to Louisville to see uh, Falstaff, this sure. would never have happened. So it's you know it, this is this is our career in in the arts. It's right place, right time. Um, and and for us, I guess that was the right place, right time because we've loved our life here in Winston Salem. Yeah. What is it about this place that that you enjoy? What what is? I I always ask some facsimile of the question of how is Winston Salem? How has this community impacted you? What is your relationship like with the Triad? You know, when we first came, both of us are from Louisville, Kentucky. And when we first came, immediately we kind of felt at home. I mean, it felt a lot like Louisville. And I, I'm not going to lie if I didn't say I can I can remember the first time we drove, both of us at the same time, drove onto the campus of the School of the Arts, and you could just feel the energy change around you. And I said to my wife that you could build something here. This is a place 
and and I'm I'm a builder. I'm not a guy that wants to slide into success and sit back. I I always want to grow, and um, and that was that in terms of when when I first came here, when both of us first came here, we were working at the school, and um, as life went on, this town embraced both of us thoroughly. Uh, and and welcomed us wholeheartedly. I've been given so many opportunities here by this extraordinarily generous community. I've done things that I I I wanted to do and I knew that I could do, but that doesn't mean anything. Someone has to trust you and believe in you and give you the opportunity. And over and over again this community has given both of us, but particularly me, the opportunity and they have trusted me with this opera company for 20 years, and I, I, I'm really very, very grateful. I mean, I've worked hard for them, but they've consistently trusted me to put the company artistically out on a pretty far, far precipice, and we've succeeded, and we've done some extraordinary work, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud and I'm grateful. I. I... This is a question that we also ask our guests. Where did your love for music, for the arts, the, the performing arts, where did that really start? And even going back to maybe your, your childhood. I always wanted to I always wanted to play the piano. I remember my my next door neighbor had a piano and he had to take piano lessons and he hated it. And I would always look at that piano like it was, you know, the amazing jewel box. But we were we didn't have a lot of money. We couldn't afford a piano. We couldn't afford piano lessons. And uh, there was a, a, a youth um, director at a church I went to that tried to give me piano lessons for a little while. And of course, the minute they started, she got reassigned. Mm. So that went away. Um, but every, this is going to sound weird, but every Saturday, I would take my allowance. There was a movie theater a couple of blocks from our house. And this I is in walk. Louisville still? This is in Louisville, yeah. Okay. And I would walk up the block, go to the movies... The first one was The Sound of Music, which I just cried and cried and cried. I wanted to see it so bad. And I was stuck. I mean, it was it was an old movie theater. So it was it was a lot like the Stephen Center, frankly. Okay. So big proscenium and curtains and all of that stuff. And I loved it. So I went every Saturday. And the thing that attracted me, sure, the movie, but the music. I started collecting movie soundtracks because it was the closest thing. I didn't know. I didn't understand what was happening in my brain, but it was the closest thing I had to going to a symphony concert. Um, it kept going, kept going. When I was in the eighth grade, my choir teacher gave us or convinced us all to get student subscriptions to the opera. And so I went to see, there was a big snowstorm in the middle of the season. We didn't get to see the second opera. But I went to see the, the operas at Kentucky Opera. And the first one was the Magic Flute. And irony of ironies, yeah. Marilyn Taylor was singing one of the spirits in that production. So the very first opera I went to see, my wife was part of the cast. You're kidding me. I am not kidding you. That's an amazing story. <laughs> That is an amazing story. It is. It is. We figured it out. I don't know how many years into our marriage, but it was. It was. Yes. It's absolutely true. Wait a minute. Okay. So you you, you got married. You met. You you uh, you got married, and it took you years after that to yes. realize this connection. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Wow. One day I was talking about the first opera I ever went to, and she said, wait, 
was that at the Macaulay Theater? And I said, yeah. And then we put it together. <laughs> and, you, and then you just had this this epiphany that, that oh my goodness, that was you. That's I, right. That's right. Wow. That's right. Because I kept, I mean, I didn't remember her, but I remembered the lady that sang Pamina in that. And I was like, she was wearing a big orange dress. And she, and she said, yep, that was her. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, wow. What a story. Yeah. Uh, but she, in that, the, the, the thing that, I mean, I wasn't directly drawn to opera at that moment, but it was, I, I was, I was not sideways because it was, uh, the, it was a Macaulay theater, which was an old sort of ter- pre turn of the century theater in Louisville. So it felt mm-hmm. kind of like that movie theater that I was going to curtain goes up. All of this stuff is, the music's live. I'm looking down in this orchestra going, what, how is this? This is just like going to the movies only. This is happening right before my eyes. This is, what is happening? This Mm -hmm. is amazing. And from that moment, it took a long time to turn full tilt into opera, but that was sort of the moment when performing live performance opera singing started to intrigue me, and it just kept going from there. Yeah, you know, we we always discuss ways for for opera to connect with with new audiences and and that's that's a common theme in this in this podcast as you recall that moment where it struck you yep. and it and it really hits you how, how maybe explain that a little bit more about how that really hits you emotionally and and what that can still do for people today that want to experience this particular form of the arts for the first time yeah it's it's like i say i sat down in that theater i didn't know what to expect uh, it was like I said, it was the first time I'd been to an opera, and I didn't have any preconceived notion about opera. I I think I did understand from a cultural point of view. Okay, this is this is we're supposed to dress up, and we, you know the whole opera is elite thing. Um, but I didn't see that as a stumbling block. I just thought, wow, this is a big thing. Especially when you go, you know, again, we didn't have, I don't want to say we we was poor, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. I, you know, I, I go into this white theater with the mirrors and the gilt and all that stuff. And I was like, dang, um, I can remember years, years ago, we were part of a program with the state of North. This is Piedmont Opera now. We were part of a program with the state called uh, Cartwheels. Mm-hmm. And we took a kid's opera out all over the state and, and uh, down in Buncombe County, I think. Somebody reported back about how beautiful it was that the kids walked through the 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 theater doors and saw the red velvet curtain hanging in the theater and went, wow. And I I identified immediately Mm -hmm. because that's exactly how I felt going to the Macaulay Theater as an eighth grader. Um, But it's it's like I say, it, it was the... It was the immediacy of it all. It was the fact that instead of sitting in the theater and watching Julie Andrews two-dimensional on the screen, singing exactly the same way as she had on the record that I'd been listening to before I went to the movie, that was right in front of me, and it was her voice to my ear. And there was something so compelling about just the, the instant communication and I if you'd asked me to that if you'd asked me that question when I was an eighth grader I'd be like I don't know it was great but but I realized the the longer I'm in it that's what that's what hooked me was that immediacy that I can remember when I was singing in musicals in high school even though I never had that big a voice by high school standards I had a big voice and I was always very proud of the fact that I could get my voice out into the auditorium and and that was again part of sewing all the pieces together was that I wanted to be able to reach out to people and communicate to them this this narrative 
from my mouth to your ear with nobody in between. And I, I, I still, to this day, it's funny when you look back at all of this and sort of see your, your values in your life begin to add up. And I'm so passionate with my students at school about when you walk through my door, you're an acoustic instrument. You are not a digital instrument, and your goal is not to be a digital instrument. Mm. It's your communicative powers to your listener with no no impediment. And they still struggle, particularly in our modern age. They really struggle with that idea. But it's exciting when you see them start to get it and realize the power of just this thing in your neck, not all the other stuff. Yeah. And, and I think that's what got me. What is it about opera that provides such a great form of storytelling? Because that's the thing that all of our guests have talked about in terms of why opera can be so impactful is the way that it tells a story. It's not the the, the talents of what comes out of people's mouths certainly is is impressive, but that's not the first thing that our guests go to. It's the, it's its ability to tell a story. What is, how, how does it do that? You know, it is the bringing together of literally every art form we know, uh, you know, fine art, singing, music, symphonic music, everything. It is, it is hundreds of artists coming together immediately on the spot and using all of their artistic powers to tell this amazing story. It's, yes, you have to be able to sing to be an opera singer, but you have to do so much more. You have to to be able to communicate. You have to be able to act. You have to be able to respond. You have to, there's so, you're watching such an extraordinary, you know, we're all obsessed with machines and what they can do. Oh my God, watching an opera singer is watching one of the most amazing machines function in front of you to tell a story to you. And it is, it is truly that amazing. I've always said, when we clap at the end of an opera, it is because we've seen a superhuman act on stage and in the orchestra pit and backstage because the amount of senses that are firing all at once just in the name of storytelling i don't i don't know how you could add it up when you're training singers we talk about the the multiple tracks that you have to be able to function on uh, last season we did la traviata okay violetta is a courtesan from the uh, previous, well, previous two centuries ago, uh, 1860s. So she has to function like a woman in the, in the 1860s. But she has to listen to the chorus and the orchestra. She has to respond to the conductor, who has nothing to do with anything that's happening on stage. She has to make sure that she hits her mark so that the light falls on her in a, in a way that is so moving that the audience will laugh or shed a tear or smile or remember what it was like to fall in love. And by the way, sing beautifully. Right. Uh, and, and make sure that this dress that, that she's not used to wearing because she doesn't live in the 1860s, she wears appropriately, she looks beautiful in, she looks comfortable in, take off her gloves, wear... I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. It's extraordinary what these people do, and and all in the name of storytelling. And I don't know that anybody that comes to the opera can can say that to you at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. But when you've sat and you've experienced 
that that no nothing in between us. I am being vulnerable. I am being g- generous in my storytelling to you, and I'm being immediate. And I don't know any of you people. You're all total strangers to me. But I'm going to be that immediate and vulnerable and passionate to you and in front of you. I mean, honestly, it's like a drug. I mean, it's just, it's it's such a, a powerful thing when it's done well. And 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 I, I, it's amazing to me that, that people aren't interested. I, I, there's one, uh, I'll, 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 I'll tell you the story. There was a, a, a fellow who was an opera patron who actually worked for this company a little while. And he said, you know, and, I, and he's not the first person that I've, I've heard this from. I, it's just he's the most immediate case to me. He said, when I was a kid, I was a, a heavy metal dude. And I used to go to metal concerts and, you know, all of that screaming and yelling and lights and da-da-da-da. And he said, once I grew out of that, I never had the same kind of rush of experience as I did when I went to the opera. And when I went to the opera, it was the closest that I had ever had that experience. And that's what hooked me. That's a great story. I, I love that. The, the just, yeah, it's well said even before the story about how it can be so impactful yep. and how it can bring somebody in. The the vulnerability that people show on stage and the passion that that is, it's it's so authentic. It's so genuine. Um, and and so I think that's a that's a really good segue into now that we've got people excited about what the experience brings them, and I think. If people are listening that have been to performances before, they're 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 visualizing and recalling some of the same things that you're talking about. So so let's set the table now for the 23-24 season. What has you excited about this season with Piedmont Opera? Il Trovatore. Actually, the whole season. I love this whole season. Il Trovatore and the Marriage of Figaro are two of my favorite operas. They're probably two of my desert island operas. It would be tough for <laughs> okay. Il Trovatore because I love Verdi so much. If I had to only choose one, I'm not sure that it would be Trovatore, but it would be the maybe top two. <laughs> um, and, and, and as you say, a segue, Trovatore is one of those operas that is, I mean, it's it's probably Verdi's most performed opera. Maybe that's changing now with Traviata, but in terms of the whole history of his operas, certainly it's the most performed because that it's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. The, the, the plot is, everybody sort of says, oh, the plot is so ridiculous. Yeah, but that's what's thrilling about it is that Verdi, that's what he was looking for. He was, he was looking for this, for a plot that was so again, I'm going to use the word superhuman. It was so beyond the human, the normal human experience that it would give him the opportunity to write this music that is beyond, you know, anything that that you can imagine. Part of the reason I love Verdi so much is he, there is this charge, there's this supercharge in his music that just, if you get it right, it drives and it drives and it drives and it puts your hair on edge. And, And this opera... And and his pen, it's like the perfect combination because there's constantly an edge on this uh, this this. It, it, the story has to propel itself forward, and Verdi's music is like that when it's right. And and it's just, it's like I say, it's the perfect marriage if you ask me. And we've got such a strong cast, and it's the last show in the Stevens Center 
for who knows how long. I mean, <laughs> currently right. it's a two-year break, but um, who knows? Yeah. Um, and and so I, my whole cast knows that, and they're like, we're going for broke here. We're going to leave. And that was part of the reason why I chose it. Be, it, it is the the biggest opera that we could put on that stage to say goodbye to that house. Um, so that was intentional. That was intentional. Yeah. Uh, the one of the one of my big concerns was I have a fantastic chorus that works very hard for me, mm-hmm. and I wanted to make sure that the last grand opera that we were going to do in the Stephen Center was going to be something that would meaningfully engage them. And of course, Trovatore has the anvil chorus amongst a lot of other beautiful choral moments. So this is a big showcase for them as well. So I really, you know, let's let's close this theater with the biggest bang we can bring to the stage. Uh, and and I my cast is a hundred percent behind me on that, and I'm 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 just hoping I hope there's a ceiling left to the theater when we're done. Good luck to them. <laughs> you may you may, uh, you, you may uh, expedite the renovations. I, I guess I, I fully anticipate <laughs> and expect to. <laughs> uh, beyond that, how how will the renovations at the Stevens Center impact the season overall? Uh, well, uh, already in this season, uh, we're on the road. Uh, a wandering minstrel, we uh, uh, will be uh, performing Marriage of Figaro in uh, the High Point Theater, mm-hmm. which we're excited about. And and High Point is also excited about that. So I'm looking forward to that. It's part of the excitement about when, when the Stevens Center closing was first announced, a lot of people froze. And I said, no, this is not a problem. This is an opportunity. And it's an opportunity to reach out. Norman very wisely named this company Piedmont Opera. Mm. And I think it's an opportunity for us to live up to our name in a, in a very meaningful way and to reach out to the Piedmont and find all kinds of new opera lovers who, you know, we we are the triad, but all three cities are very proud of their cities and there's little bubbles around them and we're going to burst those bubbles and engage in 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 very different ways i mean we've got the opportunity to uh, explore the Piedmont, but we also have the opportunity to explore different sized operas, different sized auditoriums, mm. different kinds of performances. So it's going to be an interesting time. We, I'm hopeful that every season there will be big opera, but there's going to be potentially some different kinds of things too. And I'm I believe in the city of arts and innovation, and those two words are going to define the next few years for us. Uh, that our our public and our community will will trust us and follow us. Yeah, so that that really is a great answer to the next question. But beyond beyond what you already said, what are some of the other opportunities or unintended benefits of of moving out of your main performance space? I mean, you said you know connecting with with other areas of the Piedmont Triad. Um, and hopefully the audience will follow and new audiences will come on board. What are some of the other uh, benefits that, that could come from, uh, like you said, you're not looking at this as a disadvantage in terms of the Stephen Center is renovating, it's closing, we understand that, but you quickly wanted people to see this as an opportunity. Are there any other ways that that can, that can be seen? I think it's going to challenge us to rethink what does opera mean? Um, I think that we'll, I, I think that, people are going to get to see opera from a different viewpoint. Um, 
I don't know yet. I'm still trying to work through the next few seasons to see where, what and where might we might perform and what might be available. But what would it be like potentially to see an opera in a 200-seat house? What would it be like to see an opera in a space that isn't a theater? What would it be like to 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 do an opera or 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 a performance in a space that is familiar to you but not as an opera house? Um, and will there be people, and I hope the answer to this question is yes, who would come through a door that is familiar to them for a separate reason, and now they'll come through that door to see an opera? How will the number of seats, the size of the building, the acoustics of the venue, how will that determine what selections you have for each season? You know, a lot of the the... And I love the Stevens Center. Of all of its um, uses, it's, it suits opera best. The orchestra pit balances with the stage very well. Um, yes, the backstage area is a challenge for us, but moving on. Uh, but it's a beautiful opera house. And that's one of the benefits is that there's, there's a, a huge chunk of the repertory that fits in that space well. Trovatore is an opera that I don't know I would do in a smaller theater, or I would have to significantly rethink it, and it would be a version of Trovatore. Um, but th- then having said that, that means that there's going to be possibly classical operas or modern operas that were conceived with smaller orchestras for more experimental places um, in terms of modern opera, in terms of classical opera, you know, there were plenty of, of composers who were writing operas for uh, patrons that had small house theaters. So size of orchestra, size of cast, uh, whether or not there's a chorus, all of these things are going to play into how we balance the resources. And, you know, if you see an opera in a 200-seat house, it might be that the orchestra's behind us rather than in the orchestra pit in front. Um, but that's exciting because that means you're going to be that much closer to the singers and that much closer to the drama as a patron. Yeah, unique challenge that you've never really experienced, at least here with Piedmont Opera, but um, certainly you'll... you. You all will, will make the best of it, and Absolutely. I think, and like you said, it'll create some some great opportunities um, for for some just to you know um, you know apply different different tactics for yep. depending on the venue. Uh, a couple of names I want to ask you about that that are going to be involved in in some of the work this year: uh, Tashina Vaughn and Yulia Lysenko. Can you tell us about the two of them? Um, one a very dear old friend and one a rather new friend. Um, I'll start with uh, my dear friend Tashina. Uh, Tashina uh, grew up here, uh, well, to a small degree here in Winston-Salem. She's also grew up in uh, Atlanta, but we call her ours. Uh, <laughs> she's born in Baltimore, and then uh, her mother brought her here. And um, I, I, Tashina was one of the first friends that my wife and I made uh, here in Winston-Salem. Uh, and... Uh, during her time here, she spent a couple of years here with her husband, and then the two of them moved to Germany. We actually visited them shortly after Tashina became uh, a house singer at the Opera House in Stuttgart, and uh, we we saw a very unusual premiere she gave. They, they were doing a new ring cycle in Stuttgart, and she had 
I'd broken her ankle or broken her uh, some part of her leg, mm. and so she was singing the role of Erda in a wheelchair. They had just sort of retooled it to to work for her. Uh, that was the beginning of a of a great European career for Tishina. Uh, she's been singing in Europe since the early 2000s, I think. I I won't get the dates right, but um, her hers is an extraordinary voice that that needed a minute to to come to its peak. Um, she's had a wonderful career. She sang many seasons in Stuttgart, then she moved to Dresden, um, and now she's starting to sing more in the United States. She's done a bunch of operas recently at the Metropolitan. Uh, my wife and I heard her out in San Francisco years ago. So uh, it is a great, great pleasure to sort of welcome back the conquering heroine. Uh, she's she's conquered the world, and now she's going to come home to Winston-Salem and show us what she's done wow. in one of her signature roles of Azucena in uh, Trovatore. And then on the flip side of that coin, uh, Yulia is a singer that I've known for, I don't know, four or five years now, maybe maybe longer. The 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 COVID messes up my timeline on everything. Uh, she first sang uh, uh, Mimi in um, La Boheme for us uh, several seasons ago, and I fell in love with her instantly. What an extraordinary musician and singer. And uh, she's sung two operas since then for us. Uh, she was Elisabetta, Queen Elizabeth, in our production of uh, Maria Stuarda, Mary, Mary Queen of Scots. And then last season, she was Violetta in Traviata, beautifully sung, brilliantly sung. And uh, she, uh, Traviata she'd sung before, but when it was finished, she she asked me about next season, and I said, I'm thinking, Yulia, uh, and, and I'll get back to you. And I wrote her uh, last spring, and I said, so I'm thinking about uh, Trovatore, and I think you'd be a beautiful Leonora, but I don't think you've ever sung it before. Leonora is one of those roles that everybody approaches with a certain amount of trepidation. It's like you want to sing it, but you got to pick the right time to mm -hmm. sing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, I would love to do that. And I said, nothing would make me happier. So she will be singing her first Leonora with us. That's fantastic. Which I'm, I'm very excited about. Yulia... <clears throat> As you said, her name is is a little unusual by American standards. Yulia Lysenko. She's a, a from the Ukraine, and uh, she studied there. And she was a young artist with an opera company there. And she transitioned immediately from being a young artist to being a member of the company. And her training is so evident in everything she sings. And I mean that in the best possible way. I don't mean that in a in an academic way. She the the scores are just in her so 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 thoroughly and beautifully and uh what an extraordinary artist she is it just uh, i i'm i'm so looking forward to hearing her leonora that's that's amazing this is a a great primer for the upcoming season um i hope people will go and get their tickets uh go see, especially go see the last performance in the steven center yes. before it closes not permanently but closes for for an extended amount of time so a uh, couple couple more personal questions before we, we wrap up here. I, I love hearing with, with people that have such a strong background in the arts and, and have to utilize so much creativity um, as a part of it. What are some of the habits that you have to make sh to, to develop and, and keep your mind sharp and keep that creativity flowing? It, it, people have certain habits that they go through um, so that they can really maximize what they can do mentally and, and be able to perform at the, at, um, 
perform at the level that they want to? What are some of the things that, that you do to stay sharp? Well, some would argue that I'm dull. So, <laughs> so I don't I don't know if what how I'm going to answer this question is 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 good or not. But um, you know, I remember and I I practiced this before she said it. But I remember at at a graduation ceremony at School of the Arts one year, Kathy Bates was the speaker, mm. and her advice to the students was have a life. Don't just do your art, but make sure that you your your life informs your art. So go have a life. And I, I just laughed as she said it because I knew some of those kids behind me weren't hearing her. And, and, and sometimes some of my colleagues would even sort of criticize me for trying to have a life every now and again. But that's, that's a vital part, I think, of being an artist, is that you've got to step away from it, and you've got to step away from it hard. Um, I, I, I say to the staff here uh, all the time when they go on vacation, go, go off the grid, please go off the grid, because y- y- there just has to be some time to let your mind wander, because the more you let your mind wander, the more it exercises you're exercising muscles that you need when you're trying to be creative mm. how how far outside the box can you let your mind wander how you know <clears throat> can you do something else that is equally creative that challenges your muscles in a different way um the other i guess this is a habit it drives my wife nuts i have to work around noise you know a lot oh, of people okay. need the silence to be creative and I, I always needed the noise. I hated working in the library because my mind would wander from the task all the time. Now, I have a few learning disabilities, so that's part of it. But the other th- part of it is think about it. When I'm at, as a conductor, when I'm at peak performance, there's a lot of noise coming at me. And, and, I, and I have to pay attention not only to the orchestra and the singers and the set, what happens when somebody's costume gets stuck on a piece of furniture or something mm-hmm. like that. But I'm also paying attention to the audience behind me. Did they laugh? If they laughed at that joke, we're going to have to take an extra beat that nobody's used to taking to accommodate that laugh so they hear the next down. So so my my brain has just gotten accustomed to, to functioning wow. in the midst of noise. So I... I, I I challenge myself occasionally to work in the silence, but when it does, it's it's like a little worm comes out and goes, wait, something's <laughs> got to be fixed somewhere because this is too quiet. Where are you going to go? <laughs> your, your recollection of Kathy Bates's quote of have a life is a perfect lead into my last question, which is what is what are the things that you enjoy about life outside of the arts? Um. <laughs> so if you if you are stepping away from the arts to have a life and and flex some of those creative muscles that you don't normally get to do when you're immersed in your work, what are some of the things that you'll do? Um I, I like to read. Um I like to I I I I it's not really stepping away from work, but it is. I my one of my big hobbies is collecting recorded things. Mm-hmm. And I say recorded things because I have CDs and I have LPs and I have 78s and I also have Edison cylinders. And I have the machines for all of those things. Matter of fact, I just bought a Victor D, a Victrola, which I'm oiling up the oak horn, which I'm very excited about. The sound on it is extraordinary. Um, 
Which also then, that is the segue to, I love working on my old house. I live in a house that was built in 1921. And when I get enough time, I, I love spending my energy on fixing up my house. I love doing yard work. Um, uh, Marilyn keeps trying to hire someone to cut the grass and I keep beating him to the punch. <laughs> um, and and uh, my plantings out in the front of the house look really good with all the rain. I'm very excited about that. So... I, 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 some of my habits I try to fill up that, keep my hands busy so that my brain doesn't wander so much and I can enjoy some silence. Yeah. Well, I hope that we're recording this on a Friday, so I hope your weekend is filled with some gratifying yard work and cutting the grass, because we have had a lot of rain in the last two days, so that grass might need some cutting this weekend. Don't worry, I'm on it Sunday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> Jamie Albritton in his 20th year here with Piedmont Opera as the artistic director. Thank you so much for spending some time with no, us No, no, no. Thank you, and, and anybody that's listening, thank you so much. <laughs> 